Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you, Aaron, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us without hope in the world, but that you sent Jesus to die for us, and that through his word we have received hope and salvation. Please, Lord, speak to us this morning through your word, and Lord, enable me to preach faithfully according to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it happens, uh, maybe at Christmas time or on a special birthday, that you're given a food hamper as a gift, packed with goodies like nuts and biscuits and cheese and ham and fruit and chocolates. It's a smorgasbord. And I want to suggest that in a way our passage today is a bit like that. It's a smorgasbord for the soul, packed with all kinds of spiritual blessings to enjoy. And you and I are being invited to open it up and taste and see that the Lord is good. This is wise advice for all of life. The theme today is the church, or more specifically the unity and growth of the church and of each one of us individually as God's children. Paul wants us to be a people who not only survive, but thrive. And he wants us to be a gospel community, a church that offers a foretaste of heaven in our worship and in our fellowship. But how do we do this when we are really so different from one another and have so many challenges to deal with in our own lives? Well, to be honest, it's not easy, is it? 
It's hard, but Paul says in our passage today, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So that is a comfort, isn't it? It's the most comforting little passage, uh, verse in our, in our passage today. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is a wonderful promise that God is with us, that he will work in our lives and in our church. By his Holy Spirit, our Heavenly Father will unite us and continue to unite us as a family in Christ. It's one of the special works of the Holy Spirit. God will do it. Now, I admit that at first reading today, today's passage may seem a little bit random because it contains a sampling of some of the shortest verses in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed that as Aaron was reading it. And it covers a lot of ground as well. But verse 25, for example, four words, uh, brothers pray for us. Or what about verse 16, just three words, be joyful always. Or there's one verse with just two words in it. You see the verse, verse 17, pray continually. These little blessings are like sprinkled in our passage, like salt from a salt shaker, as if to enliven and flavour the whole meal. Little words of wisdom. If you look more closely at the passage, though, you'll see that there is a logic that aims at a bigger target, which I want to suggest is the unity and growth of the church and of each one of us individually as God's children. There is much wise advice in these verses today to help us to thrive as Christians and to achieve God's purpose in our lives, no matter who we are. So we're going to cover in verses 12 to 13, uh, Paul addresses aspects of the leadership of the church. Then in verses 14 and 15, he addresses the fellowship of the church. This is followed by some more personal encouragements in verses 16 to 22, before we come to Paul's final prayers and comments at the end of the passage in verses 23 to 28. And when you look at this, you'll see basically that there's no one who's left out here. There's a word for every believer. And as you read, I find, I hope you do too, Paul's love and concern, his compassion, his desire for these people is evident. His, his aim really is to build God's people up in faith, in hope, in love, and to equip us with the skills we need to become an even better church in the future. After all, you know, there's always room for improvement in the Christian life. And this ought to occupy our hearts and minds as we strive to be God's faithful people in his world today. So let's start by looking at Paul's advice to the congregation concerning the leadership of the church in verses 12 and 13. This is a personal appeal from the apostle for the church to love and respect the leaders that God has placed over them. Those who serve as leaders ought to be respected for the work they do and held in the highest regard. On the other hand, they must also do the work of leadership. Leaders must be willing to labour in the word. The word here suggests exhausting toil, uh, to feel at the end of the day that you've really worked hard. Ministers of the gospel must work hard to preach and to pray and to instruct and admonish and equip and edify God's people so that the whole church can grow in unity and love. As leaders, we need to set a good example for others to follow. In short, leaders must lead. 
And that was a bit of a, an eye-opener to me. I remember a couple of years into uh, being a minister, starting, we went to a conference and uh, the conference man said, leaders must lead. And nobody had told me that before. It was the last thing I wanted to do was lead. Uh, it was a bit of a devastating shock. I need to learn how to lead. I'm quite happy being a follower, but being a leader, I'm not sure. And here I'm already in ministry with a congregation to lead, um, but it hadn't occurred to me actually that that was part of the role. Nevertheless, it is, and we continue. I've got my oil plates on, and I continue to have them on. I think, too, as our church, we look more generally at leadership as a whole. I think the leaders in our church do work hard for you. From kids' church to music, from Lumos to ladies' group, from the tech team to everyone in between, I want to thank you for the work that you do for the gospel and for our church. I'm especially thankful, of course, to... Our elders, to Derek and to Yin, who's away at the moment with family, but to thank our elders for the ministry that they do. So support our leaders. As a church, stand up for them, defend them, pray for them, thank God for them, listen to them, honour them, love them. And if they make a mistake, when we make mistakes, let us know. And also forgive us because this is pleasing to your heavenly Father, and he'll bless you for it. So verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Yes, sometimes leaders do make mistakes, of course. Sometimes we just see things differently or we want things done in a different way and it can be frustrating, but that's okay. Tensions are bound to arise from time to time in any family. The question is how to deal with them when they do. Conflict's not necessarily a bad thing, but when pride gets in the way, it quickly becomes messy. That's why James says in his letter, Everyone should be, I wonder if you know the passage, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Truth is, though, all too often we're prone to do the exact opposite, aren't we? We can be slow to listen quick to speak, quick to get angry. And that is when we make a mess of things. In seeking to defend ourselves, our conflict becomes ungodly and what tends to happen then is that leaders become tyrants while others become unruly and rebellious. But Paul says, live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. Don't be quick to pick fights. Hold your leaders in the highest regard in love. Live in peace with one another. So then Christian leaders are called to be servant leaders who lead by example. And Jesus says much the same thing to his disciples. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, that is a wonderful and radical truth that Jesus teaches. That the King of Kings should come in order to be a servant to sinners like us. And yet we recognise his kingship. And so we bow before him. So yes, Christian leaders are to be servant leaders, reflecting the very example of Christ. And in our service, we seek to lead others. Now, what does this word admonish mean in verse 12? Well, it's an interesting word. It means sort of to put you in mind of what's right, to instruct you, to warn you perhaps, or even to discipline or to rebuke a person who's out of line and needs to be corrected. To put you in mind of what's right. Of course, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but later on we may find ourselves being very thankful to those who admonish us in the Lord for saving us from doing something stupid, something we would regret, or perhaps showing us our error in order that we might repent and apologise. It's part of peacemaking. that We might live at peace with one another. So then a good leader must be able to admonish his people well. In fact, I guess knowing the right time and the right words to say to put you in the right mind is a gift of leadership. Perhaps it's gained by experience and making mistakes along the way. But if a leader can tell you off lovingly, surely it proves that he or she loves you enough to speak the truth even when it hurts. And isn't that what good friends and good leaders are for? So respect your leaders, live in peace with one another. For if you do that, you will surely strengthen the unity of the body of Christ. You'll strengthen the church and you'll bring praise and thanks to the Lord. And how good it is when brothers and sisters live in unity with one another and honour the Lord in doing so. So that's on the leadership. Let's move on to my next point today on the fellowship of the church. Paul's advice on the fellowship of the church as a whole is in verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, We urge you, brothers, and now comes the list, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Well, what a list of things to work on there in our lives. Just in those couple of verses. We urge you, brothers, says the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the whole church. We urge you, as it were, to take an interest in one another's lives. Don't be like Cain, who murdered his brother Abel and then said to God, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are your brother's and your sister's keeper in the Lord. We do have a responsibility for one another's welfare and well-being and our walk with Christ. In fact, it takes the whole body of Christ working together as a family to maintain the peace and the fellowship we enjoy. And so Paul identifies particularly three groups of people who need to be cared for, and these are the idle, the timid, and the weak. No doubt reflecting the issues and circumstances of the church of Thessalonica itself. The question is, how can I encourage you to grow in unity, godliness, maturity, fellowship, prayer and love? How can I encourage you to grow 
in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for the good of the whole church and for your blessing and benefit too. One thing is we mustn't ignore the needs of our family in Christ. And sometimes we need a word of encouragement. We need to be admonished and we need to be loved. This is something that all God's people are called to be involved in. The principles of faith, hope and love are meant to spur us on to love and good deeds. And so Paul's examples are illustrations of this. In terms of laziness, warn those who are idle. Some of the members in the church at Thessalonica, we know, had stopped working because of their misunderstanding about the timing of Jesus' return. I mentioned that last week. Their excuse that they were waiting for Jesus to come back and it's going to be so soon, we, why, why work? But in reality, they ended up sponging off the rest and this became a real problem for the church. Relationships, it seems, were beginning to fray. So Paul calls them out in verse 14. We urge you to warn those who are idle. Pull up your socks, settle down and earn a living. Stop sponging off your fellow Christians. Do something useful so that you can contribute to the work and well-being of the church. It's the principle of the thing. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or as Paul says in verse 15, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. The message is that we should not presume on God's grace nor be a burden to our fellow brothers and sisters. Yes, it's good and proper that we should care for one another when we are in need, but we shouldn't take advantage of that kindness. Be a productive member of society so that you can help those whose needs are real, like widows and orphans, the sick and the elderly, or whoever it is that is in particular need financially. It's just the loving thing to do. Even non-Christians can see whether we're serious about our faith or not in the way we go about our business. So be careful how you live. Keep yourself busy in the Lord. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Some of the things that Paul suggests earlier in the letter. Do a fair day's work if you're able to, or if not, go and volunteer if there's no other way of serving others. Just don't sit at home and do nothing with your life because that's the worst thing for your soul. But these idlers at Thessalonica, well, they were particularly stubborn. Turns out Paul has to rebuke them for a second time in his second letter to the church. And even more sternly than before, he goes on to say in the second letter, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. You can see it's an ongoing problem. Don't abuse the generosity and kindness of others. That's the point. Next, Paul says, encourage the timid. Encourage the timid. Now, this word timid covers almost every category of social awkwardness, seems to me, from being shy to being anxious to being depressed. And there's a a real plague of anxiousness and anxiety-related illness in our society today and depression. It could even mean someone who's emotionally broken and needs the special care of the church to strengthen them again in mind, body and spirit. This idea of timidity is broad. There are so many people who are affected today by these demons. They include mental health, 
I even think of the fear of COVID and some people who still struggle with that today. Some people still find it hard to come to church because of those anxieties and fears. It's a form of timidity. Another example of timidity would, I'd suggest, be the awkwardness of our teenage years. You know, remember how it is when you feel shy and embarrassed because of what other people might think of you? Well, we can do that throughout life as well. We become so wrapped up in worrying what the world thinks of us that it becomes constraining upon us. And these feelings can get out of control and lead to panic attacks. It's a horrible feeling when a panic attack comes on you. You feel like the world is dropping from beneath you and you have trouble breathing. The timidity that Paul just mentions in a couple of words is such a broad category. It can mean so many different things. But in a good church, God's people will be there for you in your need. Your brothers and sisters will be able to encourage you in your faith when you're feeling down and discouraged. It's one of the many blessings of belonging to the family of God. The third category mentioned in verse 14 is the weak, help the weak, says Paul. And again, this is a very broad category, isn't it? He's, he's not filling in the details. He's just got the big brush out there. going woof there and woof there. Big general categories. So I could say so many things about this. I'm just going to wait, say one thing. I think perhaps Paul especially has in mind here those who are weak in their faith. Help the weak. Are you struggling with doubts today? You're angry with God. You're feeling defeated in your sin. Well then, draw encouragement from God's word today to seek out counsel and care from your church. Call me, call Derek, call Yin, call a friend. Ask for counsel, ask for prayer. Don't drown in your troubles when you know that God has placed you in a family of care. One of the blessings of a church. So then, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Uh, That's a good one for all of us too, isn't it? Be patient. Long-suffering. Keeping in mind the ultimate goal of being together in Christ when we see our King and Saviour. Well, there's a lot more I could say here, but I need to move on to my next point for today concerning the responsibility now that each one bears for our own personal spiritual care. At least that's how I'm going to take these verses. Again, they're very broad categories. Looking at verses 16 to 22, Paul gives us, again, just this very brief outline, almost like a checklist of reminders, I would suggest. But it's still instructive for us because if you don't look after your own spiritual health, well, how can you help others? in their time of need. Caring for others can be very exhausting, physically, emotionally and spiritually. We we get down, we become impatient. And so Paul's advice is wise in these verses, as I take them, particularly in reference to your care for yourself in Christ. Verse 16 says, Be joyful always, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now with these words, Paul reminds us that we are to live our lives in worship to the Lord. For yes, these words, joy, prayer, thanksgiving, they are at the heart of worship. The point is those who worship the Lord will be refreshed in the Lord. For joy and prayer and thankfulness are at the heart of worship and of spiritual health. And so I urge you to do what Paul says here. It should have the impact of calling you back to faithfully and regularly reading your Bible, being regular in prayer and doing that both as a family and in your own personal times of devotion. Yes, you're going to need to be intentional about it. Maybe you need to write yourself a reminder. Get your phone to give you a little blip blip. Time for the Lord. Take time out each day for rest and even just recreation in the Lord. That wonderful word, recreation. Drawing us back, centering us on Christ so that we can face the challenges of the day. Take time out each day for rest and recreation in the Lord for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Then Paul adds in verse 17, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. And there we're reminded of our kids' talk this morning. With these further commands, Paul is sending us out into the world and into the workplace. We live in a world of many deceptions but we have one authentic saviour whose name is Jesus. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It relates to the same topic. He urges us to treat all of life as an act of worship. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a great little passage, the start of Romans 12. It is God's will for you that you should worship him and enjoy him forever. It is God's will for you that you should be built up and strengthened in Christ. It is also God's will that we should do this together as a church. For in fact, these commands are written to all of us at once. It's like a one for all, an all for one kind of set of commands. Let us not quench the spirit. Let us not treat God's word with contempt. Let us be wise and test everything. Let us hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Yes, we're called to it individually, but it's spoken to the whole church that we should do this together. 
And this is how we are strengthened in our inner being with joy and prayerfulness and with much praise and thanksgiving to God. In short, the lesson here is that we're better together. We're better together. Our personal care begins at church and in fellowship with God's people. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So then don't be a loner in the Christian life. Temptation is often worst when you're alone. Depression is not helped by being alone. Best moments in life are shared with others. Your personal spiritual care begins at church. Now, having called us to a life of obedience and faith, the Apostle Paul prays that God himself will bring these things to pass. And this is so encouraging in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Wow, thank goodness for that. We can't do it ourselves, but he will do it. He is doing it. God is so committed to his church, to you as his child, that he will do it for you, to his own glory. He'll make it happen, even over his dead body, as it were. That's why we need Jesus. God's fault that we sinned against him. We did that all by ourselves. And now God alone has the power to put things right again. Unless God intervenes graciously on our behalf, we are without hope. And yet God has promised that he will do it. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For God wants us to be a people who not only survive but thrive. He wants us to be united in Christ. He wants us to grow in faith and love and obedience. He he wants us to be a God-honoring community of faith that offers a real foretaste of heaven to all who join. I wonder if that's church for you, imperfect though we are. Do you see God working? I do. The work is not finished this side of eternity, is it? Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. We stumble along, but God will do it, and he is doing it. The good news is that the work has already begun and will be perfected in the new creation. We who are Christians are being sanctified through and through by the power of the Holy Spirit We are reconciled to God in Christ and we are being set apart as vessels of righteousness to the Lord. We may struggle with sin, but the victory has been won for us by Jesus. And now the peace of God is at work in our hearts. He is uniting us together as a family of believers, as a church, in faith, love and hope that we might live forever in the presence of our great King and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what can I say except thank you, Lord, for this incredible letter of 1 Thessalonians and for the message and hope that it brings. I think it's one of Paul's most encouraging letters. I've certainly found it to be so. 
I hope that you do as well. I encourage you to read it and read it again. Over the past few weeks, we've learnt much about what it means to be the church that God calls us to be. The Thessalonian church was called a model church. I'm not sure that we're that, but I pray that we will increasingly become so. A model church that others might look to and say, praise the Lord for Burwood, for what God is doing in that community, in that church. May we continue to learn what it means to be a God-pleasing, gospel-centred church. As I said, such a church was the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul speaks of the church in the introduction to the letter. And I pray that God will give us the grace to be such a church in the days ahead. A God-pleasing, gospel-centered church with a reputation for being faithful in ministry, constant in prayer, courageous in hope and gentle in our care for one another. How then should we live? Well, by God's grace, we should apply God's word in our passage today. Just take it and do. We should live our lives in worship to the Lord with great joy, continual prayer and heartfelt thanksgiving to God. Together in Christ, we should seek to be, as the vision for our church says, we should seek to be a spiritual home to people from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven and united in Christ, we should seek to grow God's kingdom by serving with love, humility and joy in believing. It's on our bulletins. It's the vision statement for our church. Let us therefore strive to be a church where God's word is received, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. May prayer become an increasingly the common practice of, our, of us all. And yes, we need to work on our prayer life. May we be a church where God's people increasingly reflect the glory of Christ through their works produced by faith, their labour prompted by love and their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's the pattern that Paul describes of the Thessalonian church at the start of the letter. May we be a church where people are prepared to accept all kinds of suffering and hardship, not because we enjoy it, but because we're committed to pleasing God with the whole of our lives. And as the world becomes increasingly dark and opposed to the gospel, we must be prepared to suffer for what is right, to take a stand and to speak the truth. May we be a church of people that are genuinely interested in meeting one another's needs through acts of kindness, compassion, prayer and patience. I thank you for that kindness that you show for one another for those in the body of Christ who are hurting and struggling and how you just gently get on with it and draw around one another. That encouragement is a joy to my heart. And may we be a church where disciples are taught and encouraged in the faith that we might raise up a new generation of godly and faithful men and women who are servants of the gospel. And may the message of the gospel be one that is not hidden or forgotten but that sounds forth mightily into our world at large as we preach and proclaim the word. As a final thought, I took this little uh, quote from Spurgeon, who said, The very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. Well then, well said, Mr. Spurgeon. 
If the world abhors us, never mind. May God love us and sustain us and equip us. And so I close with these simple but sincere words. Verse 28. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Well, let's uh, respond to God's word today. Hasn't it been encouraging? Uh, As the music team comes forward, we're going to sing our closing song, Soldiers of Christ Arise. Thank you.